this is Damien O'Darty on the Lobby Podcast. Uh, anybody who walks around State Circle uh, and will be delighted to know who our next guest is. I knew of him uh, climbing up. Uh, I was climbing up the bottom rails and rungs of the Maryland Legislative Services and the Senate uh staff committees there and so i got to see our next guest uh as a young professional rise up uh, through uh, his budget expertise uh to ultimately become which what a lot of people maybe it was just because dave blyden had the job or <laughs> maybe just because you got the greatest uh, clients of all time but we're here to talk with michael sanderson of the maryland association of counties and if you want to know anything about the state of maryland uh, or if you want to pick a fight with me, all you need to know is the counties run the state of Maryland in the most critical, functional part of government. That's my personal experience as a resident, but also as an employee of a county. They got At the end of the day, when everything disappears, you're going to have your local government right there. Um, and so we're, so we're so excited to have uh, Michael Sanders with us. Michael, thank you for enduring that uh, welcome, and we're so psyched to have you. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be here, and uh, I'm a little taken aback by all the all the flattery and fluffery, but I'll try and live up to that degree of hype. But, you know, get you a hype man who can set you up like Damien just did. That's that's good for me right there. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's, uh, it's at the end of the day, that's all I... I'm, Stanley Fine one, once reminded me, he said, Damien, I, tr I tried to sound like a strategist. I think when Kiefer Mitchell was... Uh, <laughs> was running for mayor i was around city hall and i was trying to sound like one of these strategists on msnbc about the key for mitchell uh sheila dixon race and he looks at me and he just goes damien we're touts we just we're here to support the people that are in office help them accomplish what they want to get done we're not here to strategize or pretend to be some brand, you know, decision makers. We're touts. So uh, anyway, I'm a big tout of yours because I've, I've seen your career. You know, it's one of the cool things you get to do in, in professional life is just bear witness. You know, it's not it, it's not you just need to be at the right place at the right time. Just bear witness to a career. And whether it was working for Chair Madam Hoffman on the Budget and Tax Committee, which if you, you know, you want to. You know, you want to know what real politics is, you go serve uh, with Barbara Hoffman and the city senators and do battle across the chambers with and batter, battle and collaboration with Pete Rawlings <laughs> and, you know, have a Prince George's County governor that's trying to learn about Baltimore. You you work for Barbara <laughs> Hoffman and, uh, you, you know, so I just, it's been wonderful. And then Dave Blyden was such a huge you know, figure is such a huge figure in a naturalist sure. life. Yeah. You know, this huge personality. And you came into that gig, which had to, you know, you knew it cold like anybody, like nobody could. But still, uh, you know, being your own self, being the dancing with the skills that brought you, you know, you're <laughs> not leading the most, one of the most powerful voices in all of Annapolis. So that, that, that's my, that's the fluffery <laughs> will end there. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I think you, you got to the point, which is a, a good deal of this is not really about me, but it's the nature of the way Maryland has structured its government. So, you know, people in Maryland receive a lot of their most important services and the things they care about the most right from the county. 
And that's that's different in other parts of the country. There are a lot of places where you might feel really closely to your town or your township or your own individual school district that has its own school tax or you know other other sort of units of government and you might have disparate opinions about these different uh, government leaders and so forth. In Maryland, an awful lot of that is consolidated at the county level. So your schools get funded through the county government. And for the most part, it's your county who's fixing your potholes and picking up your trash and providing public safety and running your parks. The kind of things that, you know, shut down parks early on Friday or, or close out, close down the libraries early when times are tough with the budget, you'll find out what people like really, really care about day to day. So, so, you know, county stuff really connects to people and their lives. And that's, that's a big part of what makes county governments a big deal in Maryland policy and politics, I think. So it's, I mean, it's an exciting thing to be part of, but part of it is just the structure of government here, I think. It's constitutional in nature that's given us yeah. these uh, these opportunities in the county's opportunities. So talk about real quick, uh, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't give you a chance right out of the gate to say what were the big wins of the, of the Maryland Association of Counties in this uh, 2022 legislative session? Well, I mean, like a lot of stakeholder groups, uh, you know, our, our association, we appear before the General Assembly and... Like I, I, we don't, you don't use, we don't use the word lobbying per se, but like we're, you know, we're advocates and we have perspectives on issues like everybody in town, everybody's got a client or whatever has a point of view about, hey, if this bill passes, here's what it's going to mean for this industry, or here's what it's going to mean for the people who count on this, this, uh, this kind of function. We do the same thing. You know, a, a bill comes in and you know, targets recycling programs, and we're the ones that, oh, we have to run the recycling program, so let's make sure we can get from, you know, A to Z on this. Um, so we, we're, we have a team of folks who do policy on behalf of counties. We work with our elected leaders and the professionals who run the various services at the county level to try and, you know, make sure what Annapolis has in mind is a good fit back at the local level. Um, we get proactive on, on some issues, and that's that's sometimes enjoyable to do. Um, this year, you know, there's there was a big fight about road funding, which is kind of a multi-year thing. I won't I won't beat this to death, but Maryland is like a lot of states where the local governments we don't have our own transportation tax, right? You, if you pay tax on gasoline or when you buy a car, you pay it at the state level, and right. the local governments, yeah, we maintain most of the roads and bridges, everything that doesn't have a, a state route number on it is maintained by your county or your town. Um, we slice of those state revenues to take care of the roads. It's one of these quirky things, but back during the Great Recession in 2009, a lot of that money got diverted back to the state, and we're still trying to claw our way back to a right share of local funding. We made some good progress on that issue this year. We're moving in the right direction. We didn't get all the way all the way home, but um, we're gonna we're gonna deliver some more resources so the locals can can patch up their roads and keep people safe. That's that's a good, even if unsexy thing. It's it's a good thing for local governments. Um, I'll, I'll, so were you on that on that one? Were you were you sort of? How did you have to play the tax holiday? Because you know, I, I I worked with a lot of people to help get the the gas yeah. tax passed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I I looked at it a little suspiciously there for a month, and then I figured, you know, it's a it's the wild time, it's a fair experiment to do. Yeah. 
But looking back, I'm wondering how many county leaders would be like, I'd rather have that month back with road money. Yeah. Well, in, in this. Uh, so how did you handle all that? Yeah. How did you handle all that? In, in this case, um, Maryland, ha- Maryland benefited from this quirky economic circumstance we're in where basically public revenues are up right now, even though the economy is sort of a big unknown. I, I don't think anybody really knows what the state of the American economy truly is. But where we sit right now is the state government had a fair amount of surplus, um, you know, more more dollars coming in through taxes than they had guessed, and more than would be required to just continue doing the stuff in the budget. So when you're in that moment, the, the state had an opportunity to say, we'll do a gas tax holiday for 30 days, but we'll make the transportation program whole by just using some of this temporary largesse. So basically... We didn't go a month without paving roads. We just went a month without collecting gas taxes. We paved the roads with basically general fund money. So, so that that was an elegant solution that dodged the you know the the, the policy question you're suggesting that do you sacrifice on infrastructure at times of economic hardship? We didn't have to because the state had the money to make you know to basically keep the keep the engines running. Well, I have two sort of questions off of that. One is. You just delightfully explained something to me that I probably should have known about the transportation funding. And you did it in a nice, polite, succinct sort of way. You know, not 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 the usual words I use to describe uh, uh, all the professionals we work with. But one of the reasons I always struggled um, in Annapolis or those environments where you are dealing with elected officials all day is having you know i'm a little irreverent and having the energy to to be more sanguine and respectful that's one problem i have but the other one would be you know you and your staff you've got a generational change in the legislature you guys got to kind of re-explain everything to everybody without making them feel you know, like lecture dad or like make it look like you're pedantic, right? Like that's an art and it takes an incredible amount of patience. How do you guys school yourselves for that? And I, I just want to say, I think your podcast is a great exemplification of exactly what I'm saying because it, it's everything everybody ought to know, but we're all too scared to ask. And you aren't shy about at the very least getting us all square on that level. So we're <laughs> operating from a, a good state of facts. You know, there's very few people that can lay that kind of flooring or foundation down for everybody to have a debate. How do you guys do that as a team? Well, um, I think, I, I think it's just like, it, it is part of a brand. I mean, you used that word earlier. Um, I, I think to some degree, Mako representing county governments, we have to find a fit in this policy and politics universe. So, you know, we don't have a political action committee. We don't write checks that help people get reelected. We don't support campaigns or we don't do scorecards or other things like that. You know, I mean, you know, different players have their way of being relevant and important. And you know, sometimes, you know, they can connect. What we care about is what's going to get you reelected, Senator. So you now that's that's why you want to work with us on this. We, we don't really have that exactly. So we have to manufacture a lane for ourselves to be relevant and valuable in and around Annapolis. Um, the nature of local government stretching across so many services and so forth, I mean, it gives us an opportunity to do that and 
play a role that's some combination of partner and ally and advocate all blended together. So I don't know, for me, you know, I, I did come from a background. My, my first job in Annapolis was doing staff work for the General Assembly. And my, you know, cut my teeth as an analyst rather than as an advocate. And I still feel like that brand serves us pretty well to an analyst in front of a lion. <laughs> but, that, but that's okay. Like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't hate that being part of our, you know, that's kind of our calling card is we won't be hysterical. We'll be analytical. And, and sometimes uh, that can be well-received. I don't, I don't hate the idea that we come in as a cool head and say, this sounds like a pretty good policy idea, but where's Somerset County going to get the eight people they need to do all these inspections? And that's, you know, that, that that's a, that's a level of, I don't know, um, frankness that sometimes can be effective in the policy debate, um, you know, rather than flailing our arms around and, and, and that sort of thing. So I, I don't know. I, I, I like that sort of thing. You, you mentioned the, the podcast that we run through Mako, uh, the Conduit Street podcast we've been doing for a few years. And it's a, it's a blend of policy and politics and county stuff, but we try not to go super heavy on just county government things. And we've, we've discovered there are more than a few dozen people out there who actually are interested in Maryland policy and politics. So we, we thought we'd get 50 people who'd listen to our podcast and you know, we get thousands of downloads for every episode, so we must be. Well, yeah, let me tell you, yeah, I love, I love your point of view on this because say, say how many downloads? Yeah, we're, I mean, we're, we get north right? of two thousand downloads for most, you know, most episodes. Yeah. So somebody is into this, apparently. The funniest data, man, <laughs> that I couldn't believe is the data that is like half, like X percentage people listen to, you know, seventy five percent of your podcast. Right. You know, and you're like. Couple thousand people. Who, who, who are these people? Dude, who have, you know, like who have forty-five minutes on a Saturday. Well, okay, so 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 go back to when we started in 1970, 1970, an audience of a couple thousand people listening to you in your entirety for 40 minutes. Like what, what would have been comparable? I, I, I can't imagine. Seriously. I mean, you know, we, the only thing that's comparable is, you know, Mako is also fortunate to, to own some conference. That's about it. Right. Like we have, we're, we're lucky to have a middle of August conference in ocean city where the beach turns into the political and, and policy capital of Maryland for that week. And there's fundraisers and big hitters and so forth all around town for that week. Our conference is a big deal. We, we, we get that and we, we build off that, but that, that was the only comparable currency having thousands of people come to that event for a few days and, yeah. yeah, but and you could do that every yeah, week. Yeah, so I mean, and and and, uh, and fine, like it's not necessarily the exact same people and so forth. But yeah, that is like that's that then becomes part of our advocacy and and information and so forth. And we get legislators who are like, oh, I want to, I want to do an intro. I want to be a guest. I want, I want you to talk about my bill and so forth. That that's it's a weird side currency, but sure, like yeah, I mean, you, use it, sure. <laughs> I would, I would also say that you know, I'm just gonna. <laughs> 
parrot Melanie Miller here, who, you know, nobody knows a social scene like uh, the greatest uh, Senate president in the history of our, our time's uh, daughter. And she said the winter Mako, the winter Maryland Association of Counties conference is like, you know, a professional, I'm not quoting her, but she, it left me with the imp impression that it was like a professional sneak attack where you get a jump start on the entire uh, session and community in those uh, couple days. Yeah. I think she's right. I remember that being a place where like when speed cameras were being talked about, you know, eons ago, that like the county's got a consensus there. Yeah. And uh, and then it moved on to the session. So I I, I think Melanie's on to something. Uh, that winter that winter session is going to get bigger and bigger. I, I think that's true. It, a lot of people a lot of people who come to the winter conference. I mean, it's it's not at the beach. It's not beautiful weather and so forth. But um, doing something in usually in December. That's a few weeks before the legislative session. We're at a perfect time on the calendar to sort of put the ball on the tee for stuff we know is coming. And with yeah. all the with all the people, yeah, yeah. And let's just start. You gotta you gotta serve them all. But if eight executives, seven yeah. executives, whatever the magic number is these days, come together and say this is important, there there ain't nothing a governor can undo about it. Basically, well, yeah, I think, so yeah. it, it's a powerful venue, and and th that stuff matters, and it, it gives us an opportunity. Like let's let's throw a panel of people up at the front of the room. And if we can get the, you know, the house of delegates committee chair or the subcommittee chair or the sponsor of the bill to be in the room as the moderator of that panel, then we've orchestrated some of these nuts and bolts people to talk through, you know, we like this idea, but here are the implementing things that are important. Um, how do you, how do you buy that time and attention other than having that kind of audience? Right. So, you get all those people at a hotel or at a conference at an event like that, and we get a little foothold to talk through stuff at a level that you can't do with two minutes of testimony at the table in Annapolis, which is you know the foundational building block of public participation in, in issue debate in Annapolis is you got two minutes, go. Well, here we get an hour, and if the subcommittee chair is sitting there taking notes and she's coming away saying, I like this, but we have to take care of that problem, that's, oh my gosh, that's so valuable. Um, and it's probably valuable to her as well as it is to us. So I, I think it's a win-win, you know, having, get, get the gears turning a little sooner than they might've otherwise. This, here's another uh, question, your point of view initiated, which is the classic conundrum or one of the most difficult spaces I've been in politics is the relationship between a county executive and a county council, you know, just because there's, when you have the numbers you do in the general assembly and you have an executive, you mm -hmm. know, there's a million fingers to point, like you have eight people around a table, a county executive and seven county executive, uh, county council people or whatever the number is and whatever the jurisdiction, I guess a pretty small group. Yeah. It kind of exposes, you know, a lot of personal, uh, divisions if, if if you can't get things done because what you're right there you know um, and you have to deal with that on sort of the macro level I would imagine I'm thinking my example that comes to mind I'm going to explore this too is like you got Frederick County down there Jan Gardner's been a big leader on transportation you know tweeting about roads and infrastructure the president of the United States took our nation from someplace where infrastructure week was a joke 
to infrastructure is basically an era now, you could argue. So you, you got a governor who, you know, I couldn't find many things to agree with. I'm the only one in the state apparently like that, but couldn't find, couldn't find anything to agree with him except, I, you know, I believe his policy on roads is great and infrastructure is positive. And so you have a county like Frederick County, or I'm sure you have this in many other jurisdictions where you have a strong county executive leading for your organization, but, you know, you also represent the part of the county that may have, you know, one or two, you know, very anti-growth members on the council that are sending very different signals than the president or the governor or the county executive or Mako. And, you know, how do you, how do you manage all of that uh, potentially conflictual tension? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, that, that's probably like its own stick a pin in it and we could do an extra hour and a half talking about that this as a, as a tangent but I, I think like people think of Maryland as this you know oh well Maryland's one of those states that on on election night on the national coverage they spring the picture of Maryland with a big blue check mark at like 801 p.m as soon as the polls close well you know Maryland's one of those blue states there Massachusetts blah 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 People think of Maryland as being this, you know, heavy blue state that has some hinterlands that are red, but in a, in a partisan sense, and you made reference to the General Assembly, the numbers in the General Assembly, the relationship between the two parties isn't necessarily the centerpiece of the show. Um, things can be different at the county level. You mentioned Frederick, and they're, they're the perfect example of super purple county. Um Setting aside the, the county exec race from the last race, they have two seats on the county council in Frederick that are at large. And in the general election, the last election, first through fourth place for the two at large seats was basically throw a blanket across them. It was like maybe three or four percent separated first and fourth place. So the two at large seats on the county council could have easily gone to either party. They ended up splitting but they're within a percent or two of each other. That's as close to a definition of a purple county as you can get, as nearly as I can tell. Um, and then, then you do end up with these policy tensions, whether they're partisan or whether they're about particular issues. Yeah, because this this seems like the one yeah. thing, like this seems like the one thing everybody's like, all right, infrastructure era. You know, I get a good percentage of the Congress didn't vote for it, but you know, it's passed, and then you got a, you got a Republican governor who is taught his big thing is infrastructure, and then you got a county executive that's their big thing is infrastructure. But then you might have two council members that are like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's I think there's a natural like political and not maybe not even political. It's a, it's a policy tension on infrastructure and things like the building of building and maintaining quality roadways that to some degree it's a what do you need today versus what do you want for the next 50 years and and sometimes those can be in tension with each other right and and frederick county is a perfect example because a good deal of growth in in and around frederick county has been coming northward from the the dc capital area from montgomery county from the beltway zone and so forth that people you know locating in and around frederick frederick area uh, in many cases, are commuters. So they're all looking at 270 and, and that corridor and thinking about traffic and roadways and that sort of stuff. Um, and, and, 
at the same time, you have, I'm sure, a lot of members of the, the Frederick City, Frederick County area who also feel like, well, along with growth comes, you know, these problems are drifting northward, problems of congestion and so forth. And I'd much rather see a transit solution. I'd rather see something that wasn't so heavily reliant on individual automobiles and, and their exhausts and all that sort of stuff. So I think you can have sympathy for both sides of that point of view that right now I'm stuck in traffic and I'm pissed off. But at the same time, I'm worried about the climate. I'm worried about development. So worried about what this is going to look like in 15 or 50 years from now for my family who might want to be here still there. You know, so I, I, I think I think those are reasonable tensions, and not much of that is is deeply red blue partisan stuff. It's just you have to manage caretaker responsibilities uh, in in multiple ways. Local government's full of that. To you, it's really just like a stare a state for you, you in your role. It's like a state of awareness. And a state of sensitivity about that, I guess. That's how yeah, and, 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 you buffer yourself. And, and no one's looking to me, heaven forbid, or, or no one's looking to Mako for, you know, what, what should Frederick County's transportation policy be, right? I, I mean, that's that's not really, that's not, not my role. It's not Fair Mako's enough. role. Fair enough. Um, you know, each, each political leader, they, they, they run on these issues and, and they've got to manage and govern on that stuff as best they can. Um, to the extent that Mako can be a source for getting folks together to talk about this stuff and sharing best practices. Hey, you know, Charles County, you ought to take a look at what they just did up here in Baltimore County because you're facing some of those same issues. You might use their model as a template. That Mako's really good at, you know, shining light on good examples or good partnerships and that sort of stuff. But, you know, we're not, we're not the ones calling the shots for anybody at, at that level, I don't think. You guys are great, too, because, you, you know, let's say you're um, a, a person new to county government in, in Baltimore County, like I was. I go to Mako, and I would learn from, like, Lonnie Robbins yep. in Howard County. Now, Lonnie would say, don't tell people that. Day. <laughs> you just learned enough from me. <laughs> and he, he, would, he would say um, that, but, but no, that's, that's, he would, that's, that's exactly right. We, we have to leverage those kind of resources. And. Like we've got a huge wave but you might have issues like uh, cyber oh, yeah. or voting machines or these issues where like you know you guys convene the experts and the people in the in the process and the program and then and then county officials and, and staff could get us you know could get a front row seat at all of that and then make decisions accordingly i thought it sure. was incredibly useful yeah and then we've hey talk we've got a big wave of that coming up with you know with with maryland wisdom of having elections for virtually all the county um county roles are on the same cycle as as the state legislature and all these state offices most of our county officials are up for election this fall so you know this coming winter conference we'll have it in january we'll give everybody a chance to actually get sworn in and so forth but January of 23, we're going to have somewhere on the order of 50% turnover among county elected officials for those for those who are up for election. Just, you know, some people leave, some people have term limits, some people, the voters, let them, let them know that their services are no longer needed, right? So you put all that stuff together, um, we'll have a lot of work to do 
to reach out to jurisdictions that have you know, clean sweep, all new county commissioners or a whole bunch of new council members or a new executive administration, like all of the above. We want to make sure those folks get up to speed quickly on, you know, yeah, oh, you ran for county commissioner. That's cool. You used to sell used cars. Fine. Now you run a jail and a health department. So let us help you, you know, figure out the ins and outs of that before you have to do your first budget. And that's I don't want. <laughs> yeah. And I I don't. I don't want you to, to uh, I don't want you to change your current format of your podcast one bit because, but you know, this is going to sound yeah, comes, right. very self, this is going to sound self-serving and no darty esque but you guys could do a whole nother podcast, just putting a couple, just convening a couple different local officials from up different parts of the state, just like letting them go yeah. for an hour. I mean, it would be, you know, and it would be very, very transparent. Anyway. Thank you for doing that. Here's my question, though. We at Center Maryland uh, uh, named winners. We had some. Uh, we had some great ones. Maria Tilden, and I think you're going to see uh, Senator Malcolm Augustine today. And yep. then, uh, you know, if I had a good Nicole Stallings from MHA, Josh Kurtz is braver. He does winners and losers. <laughs> and anybody like Annapolis isn't hard enough, but to go around and and feeling like you got to name people losers. That's a courageous uh, choice. I'm not going to put you in that spot. And I know you would never allow me to get you in that spot. But think about this past session and then frame it in a way that talks about, you know, people getting some big things done or where there might have been some missed opportunities. However, however, the tactful Sanderson um, uh, gets through this. All right. I, I saw, I got a good one for you here, I think. And that is um, one of the winners of this, of this legislative session is going to be emergency services in Maryland. And what I mean by that is for, for a number of years, for about 20 years or so, Maryland's had a policy that, if, if you dial 911 and ambulance comes to your house, takes you to the emergency room, under, under Maryland law, that's treated like medical care, right? You get delivered to the hospital and the, the, the volunteer fire company or whoever did, the, you know, whoever did the transport can bill your insurance company. We're not coming after you personally, but we can bill a hundred bucks to your insurance company. And that's been the law for 20 years. But over the last 20 years, the kind of service we do through emergency services has just completely blossomed and ballooned and the law hasn't caught up with that. So we've got all sorts of people where we come to your house and, oh, you're in sugar shock. Okay. Well, we can, we can solve your problem right here. You don't need a ride to the hospital or we've got Narcan. We can bring your daughter back from what looks like an overdose. We may not need to have follow-up treatment. She just may just need treatment right on the spot or, you got a badly broken ankle. You don't need to go to the emergency room. You can just go to the urgent care. We get you there in seven minutes rather than 20 minutes. Um, all those sorts of things, including an expansion of like mobile integrated care to get ambulances out to places um, in advance of a crisis or to an area that's Beautiful. underserved. Like all this stuff is healthcare. And until this year, we weren't able to get reimbursed for that kind of stuff. Um, Senator Galleon, uh, Delegate Hornberger took the lead on this issue. Mako took this up as a top priority, and we got this expanded through a bill that was down to the wire, as, as things are in session. But we got a bill through this session that's going to modernize the way we can reimburse emergency services for that kind of care. 
Um, this is going to mean a lot of people get a lot better service when they dial when they're really in need. We're going to be able to support volunteer professional companies better than ever before. It's it's not thrilling necessarily, but when you're in need, having that company ready to go, that's a big deal. So rather than the counties are the winners, I think emergency services are a winner this session and deservedly so. Well, for somebody on my side of the fence, not not your uh, proper policy side, but our uh, our slappy campaign side of things, that that sounds like good. Uh, it sounds like good politics yeah. and good policy. Yeah. So lo- I love love that. We were really happy to to work with a bunch of stakeholders on that issue. So I don't think that issue is totally over, but that, that's that's a big one. We're we're really happy with it. What else you got uh, globally? Just as an observer of the process and a master of the game. <laughs> Uh, any observations from this uh, past session? I, I think I, I think the the continued tension between state uh, state leaders looking to do statewide policy and the the sort of application into things that are essentially community level decisions is always going to be important. And th- I mean, this is this is where you know, Mako makes its living to some degree is. We, we pretty much buy into the idea that each community, for the most part, should be able to guide its own look and feel and priorities and its budget and so forth. So we're, we're going to continue to see lots of ideas that are, uh, you know, forgive me, you know, cookie cutter, one size fits all, you know, pick the cliche, um, that the state says everybody should do exactly A. And our response is usually, you know, A, B, C, D, and E are all working well in various places, why just A? And that, that's a, it's a healthy debate that's never gonna go away, but whether it's local housing policy or how we run our landfills or what we're doing with uh, you know, planning and zoning or what you do with your local taxes or tax incentives or where you're spending money in your budget for public safety, like the list goes on and on. Um, this is always front of mind for local governments, because if, if you pursue a leadership role in local government, like this is the stuff you're you're responsible. You're at you're at the grocery store with the people who voted for you, and and you're very directly accountable to your neighbors and friends, and you take that stuff seriously. Um, and I think I think they're right to do so. So. You know, that, that's, that's not, I, I'm not giving you a bullseye there, but as a structure of government issue, that's a, that's a pretty big deal for local governments. And, and that tension never goes away. The issues change, but that notion of who should make the call, the folks in the state house or the folks in the county seat, um, we're going to come down for the most part saying this community, Dorchester County and Garrett County versus Baltimore County and Montgomery County. It's tough to find one blanket to throw over all four of them. Man, isn't that the, isn't that <laughs> yeah. the truth? You know, um, talking about looking forward from an influencer perspective, uh, the this is a big change in power. You know, you could have uh, the Department of Commerce, mm-hmm. Commerce Secretary become governor. You could have. Uh, the Democratic side, a philanthropist, a book author, an army veteran, you could have a former party chairman. It's like people get really focused on that. But I I found myself in what I would typically think is the wrong room. And you know, it's always a right room. I was a bunch of budget nerds were talking. 
And they were saying, you know, with the way that the legislature is going to be able to wield power in the budget process next cycle, you know, that normal new shift of power from, to, with a new <laughs> governor, you know, it's not going to be quite what it once was. And I guess you've got similar things happening with the comptroller's office where so much of the power there was sort of stripped away yeah. by the legislature. Just love to hear your take on all that. Well, I, I think one, one thing is um, if, if, if all you know is Maryland-level politics, you'd be astounded to find out how peculiar we are in the fiscal authority that's vested in our governor and our legislature and, and how unusual Maryland is, that, that the governor has the ability to basically cap how much is spent in a given year through the budget process. Most states, the legislature really owns the budgeting process and the governor kicks things off. And that's how it is at the federal level too. The budgeting process is effectively a legislative process where the president makes suggestions, but the legislature writes the entire thing. Um, the, the change coming up because of the constitutional amendment from a couple of years ago will allow the General Assembly to sort of backfill cuts that they've made. And I, I think that's meaningful. I think you're right that that's going to be a, a different footing for those of us who, who've done fiscal work in, in Annapolis for some time. It, it'll be different, but it, it still places an overall cap on spending at what the executive came up with. So whoever ends up being the next governor will still have a great deal of say in the instant year, in the, the year that we're debating right now, the governor still holds an awful lot of cards. And we saw that this, this session with, with Governor Hogan, you know, was really interested in tax relief for, for um, retirees. And that ended up getting passed in one form because of the governor's power in the budget process. You have to negotiate through the second floor of the state house in order to get stuff done in the immediate year's budget. And uh, I, think, I think that's gonna still be present. Um, we're all gonna have to realign, like what's it gonna look like for how the legislature goes about spending? Oh, we cut $240 million out of the governor's proposed budget. And now we think we can place back 150 of that into new priorities. How, how do you do that? Is it gonna, is it gonna look and feel like another mini capital budget where, you know, all these side ideas, I need 2.5 million for this tax cut, or need, I need a million dollars for a, for a library program or whatever. Is that what it's going to look like? Maybe. Um, so like, we're all going to have to learn the new dance, but I'm not sure it's going to, we're not going to turn suddenly into, you know, California where it's the, the wild, wild west, so to speak. And, and, you know, everything's on the ballot and contradicting directions and we're floating bonds to pay for things tomorrow morning. I don't think it's going to be completely crazy, but yeah, it'll be a new frontier. Why not? I mean, I'm ready for something new. I've been doing this forever. I, well, look, I, I wondered when I, when I heard, when I overheard these budget people talking, I was like, well, that could be like where you could build an entire practice or a whole yeah. a line of services around the Sanderson situation. <laughs> we'll just call it. This is the Sanderson situation. <laughs> I think. I think there's something to be said for but, that. Uh, I may be missing an opportunity there, but uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not looking to looking to make any personal brand on myself. I'm just trying to look into a crystal ball and trying to find something a little less hazy. But 
Any uh, any last words or dad jokes you got for us uh, <laughs> here on the Center Mar- Maryland audience, which I, you know is is uh, one day hopes to be as impactful as Conduit Street. Check that one out if if you're one of my listeners and you haven't heard it yet. You'll be like, oh, this is the substance filled one. I get it. <laughs> so any last words, my man? Well, th- th- this has been fun to to change gears a little bit and you know swap a few stories and 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 talk big picture that sort of stuff. Um, I, I love doing the county government racket. I love this interplay between local and state government. And to come back to where you started things, um, I've always loved that state level politics and policy is a relatively small fishbowl. And people like you and I run into each other from time to time over years and years. And you know, your role has has evolved and grown and you're casting quite a shadow yourself. But you know, both of us came up through this kind of work in 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 similar sort of ways. And I like that a lot of this becomes personal. That that you know, telling stories about uh, Senator Hoffman, telling stories about Mike Miller, telling stories about legislative leaders and lobbyists from days gone by, and issues we all remember fighting over the milk bill or covered loads or highway user revenues right. or smart growth or all these different things. It's like a it's a it's a bond that ties us all together and. I really love this game. Glad to be on on this show because I've wanted to do this for some time. I had to grovel and beg for an invitation to get on this show, but you know, I finally I finally made it to I, the uh, top of the mountain. Done. I'm excited. <laughs> I called you out on Twitter, man. Like I'm, I'm documented, as you know. So uh, no, thank you, Michael Sanderson, for for uh, everything you offer to this community of listeners today, but. Also, the community of doers that's in Annapolis, uh, you're in a special place representing some pretty remarkable uh, um, instruments of government and even more remarkable people that are at the levers of those things. And just uh, we couldn't have somebody with more integrity at the center of all that than you. So we're, we're grateful for it. And uh, thank you for joining us on the Center Maryland Lobby Pod. Thanks so much. I enjoyed it. Now tell me, what's uh, what did you do during the pandemic for some food down there? <laughs> Any new spots? I got to go. Oh, I don't, I don't know. I'm not.